you have valuations that are attractive. You also have fundamental trajectory that is still improving or at least stable. And so with that dynamic, we see the best risk-adjusted returns coming in European Bank A-Tier 1. On today's Blue Bay Insights podcast, we're joined by Mark Stacey, Cocoa Specialist and Senior Portfolio Manager on the Blue Bay Financial Capital Bond Strategy. Hi, Mark. Hello. Let's start with the basics. What are cocoa bonds and what can they offer for investors? A cocoa is a bond that sits within a bank's capital structure that is senior to equity, but the most junior part of the capital structure from a bond perspective. And what makes a bond a cocoa is within it, it has a mechanism that will convert the bond into equity or temporarily write down that bond at a certain capital level. It typically offers much higher spread or much higher yields uh, than the rest of the credit space. Uh, And this is something that we think investors should be taking advantage of. So the evolution of the banking sector has had a huge influence on the investment case for COCOs. Do you think future changes will be positive or negative for the asset class as a whole? Absolutely. I mean, regulation has been one of the key reasons why we see such an opportunity uh, within this space. Over the last 10 years, you've seen wholesale changes on how banks are managed and how banks are regulated. And over that 10-year period, you've seen uh, equity on banks' balance sheets increase by over 700 billion euro. Now, this obviously has made subordinated bonds, and in particular, additional tier one bonds, very attractive because you've got an increasing buffer that sits beneath you within the capital structure to absorb any idiosyncratic or macro shocks And yet, despite this increase in capital and the amount of equity that banks are holding, you're still getting elevated yields in this asset class. And the reason you're getting these elevated yields is because while these are debt instruments and sold to credit investors, typically they don't form part of either the investment grade or high yield indices. Uh, And so they're off index investments for most of the credit universe. And this provides an opportunity because there's an inefficiency in the market here. Because with the rise of ETFs and with passive investing, anything that doesn't form part of a benchmark uh, trades at a, at a discount. Uh, and funds like ours are, are there to take advantage of, of that mispricing. And I think with the regulation continuing to evolve, we see the, the move from Basel III to Basel IV. So Basel III was really the regulatory drive that was uh, making banks safer over the last 10 years. Basel IV gives us visibility uh, over the next five years, really. And so the quantum of capital that banks are likely to hold is, uh, is still going to increase, and we have clear visibility around that. Uh, and at the same time, uh, the way that risks are modeled is going to continue to improve. Uh, the way that uh, liquidity provisioning at banks uh, is handled is going to continue to improve. And uh, so again, we have a, a fair bit of visibility on the fundamental trajectory from a credit perspective that, uh, that this is going to be an asset class that is likely to deliver good risk-adjusted returns, um, whereas equities are are likely to remain under pressure because banks are still deleveraging and are still raising the amount of capital that they need to hold. And in terms of market technicals, we've seen COCOs go from zero to become an asset class worth over $200 in just five years. Uh, What does this rapid growth mean in terms of bond market supply? So yes, we've gone from uh, uh, zero contingent capital uh, to, uh, to, as you say, over $200 
And so the the dynamic has been that we've expected and have received a, a lot of positive net supply in the market that was as high as 45 billion in some years. Last year, net supply was around about 20 billion. But for the next five years, the redemption profile is really starting to kick in. And you're seeing redemptions of around about 25 billion a year uh, for the next four or five years. And so net supply is going from a very large number of around 45 billion to much closer to say 5 billion a year uh, of net supply. So whereas technicals were a, a real headwind uh, before, uh, they're turning into what is actually going to be a tailwind uh, as net supply meaningfully reduces. And at the same time, supply reducing, you're seeing a, a huge amount of interest uh, from the credit investor space that are looking to invest in A-tier ones because there's been a growing realization post the financial crisis where I think there was a huge aversion to buying banks because of what had happened. Uh, and there's been a, a growing acknowledgement, not just from investors, but from rating agencies too, that banks today are, are far safer than they've perhaps been in the last 10, 20 years. And so they're much more um, keen to invest in banks now. Uh, and the best part of the capital structure to do that is an ATM one where you still have the elevated spreads. 2019 proved to be a stunning year for the asset class, with the ICE, BAML, COCOS index returning some 17.5%. So despite the positive supply dynamics, we're hearing investors becoming more nervous about buying COCOS for fear they perhaps miss the top of the market. Mark, do you think this is a valid concern or is there more upside to come? It's always uncomfortable buying risk assets after such a strong year in 2019. And when you look at the, uh, the investable universe, whether it be equities or fixed income, I mean, you've got the S&P trading at 21 times earnings. Uh, there's 13 or, or 14, I struggle to keep track of, uh, of negative yielding fixed income uh, in the world at the moment. So valuations to some extent feel uncomfortable across many asset classes. Uh, for us, though, we still see a huge amount of value in uh, particularly European bank additional tier one um, as a result of the mispricing we think of uh, the t contingent capital triggers uh, that uh, sit within the bonds because of the lack of investor. Uh, and so you have valuations that are attractive. You also have a uh, fundamental trajectory, as we've mentioned, that is still uh, improving uh, or at least stable. And so with that dynamic, uh, we see the best risk-adjusted returns coming in, uh, in European Bank A tier 1 because of this dynamic. Uh, and we've seen that the, uh, the supply dynamic uh, is, uh, is, is becoming more favorable. And investors, despite the uh, amount of returns that we saw in 2019, are very keen to invest in quality yield. Uh, they're still very yield-hungry investors. Uh, and the best yield that they can find uh, is the yield typically from what are investment-grade issuers uh, that are still offering a decent yield pickup because of the subordinated nature of the bonds and the lack of investor. So you mentioned European AT1s. How are you looking to capture alpha through 2020? There are certain regions we feel are, are trading uh, very wide spread. The UK was one of the key investments that we had over 2019 uh, as a hard Brexit, we feel it was probably being mispriced within the asset class. And so we were buying UK debt. We've reduced that slightly, but there is still uh, a bit of a premium uh, in UK denominated debt. And equally, Italian debt uh, also trades uh, at very wide levels. Uh, this is due to the political risk 
that is inherent in uh, in Italian assets, uh, we think the the risk of Italian exit uh, is is very low, uh, and you're still being overpaid for that political risk within Italy. So you've outlined a lot of compelling upside, but what of the potential downside? Can you tell us three main risks currently on your investment horizon? The coronavirus is uh, front and centre uh, for markets at the moment, and, and this is something that we are focusing on. I think it's very difficult to quantify the exact impact uh, that the coronavirus will have on uh, global growth, uh, on Chinese growth, and specifically European growth. Uh, and so we are uh, mindful that this may have a bigger impact than the market is expecting, and particularly when you see where risk assets and particularly equities are trading. Uh, and so this is something that, we, uh, that we've identified as, as a risk. Uh, inflation, this is uh, a perpetual concern as f- fixed income investors. It, it doesn't feel like inflation is likely to rise anytime soon, uh, but there uh, is something that we are focusing on because if you get a meaningful repricing in global government bond yields, then uh, that could have an impact. Uh, to some extent, on risk assets generally, whether it be equities or fixed income. Uh, the benefit of being in uh, additional tier one or the sort of uh, junior equity part is that in a rising interest rate environment, uh, this is typically good for banks. And so we would expect uh, our asset class to, to perform fairly well in this environment. But this is certainly a risk for risk assets. Uh, and you might have equities and fixed income moving wider and in spread in light of uh, government bond yields that reprice higher significantly. Uh, politics in Europe is, is always a question mark as well. It feels as though we've got over a hurdle in Italy with the regional elections being relatively benign uh, and, uh, and this government looks uh, to be in place uh, for the foreseeable future. But you never know uh, with Italian politics when we might get some instability and, uh, and a bit of volatility around that. Mark, your strategy focuses on European banks. What are the key differences between European A-tier ones and US prefs? So our investment strategy uh, really is looking at uh, global financial institutions. So we have the ability to invest in U.S. banks uh, as well as European banks. And fundamentally, we like U.S. banks uh, as much as we like uh, European banks, uh, in some cases more so. Uh, I think the reason why we prefer European bank A-tier 1 versus U.S. prefs is when it comes to the structure uh, of A-tier 1, you have a reset over five-year mid-swaps or five-year treasuries. When you look at U.S. uh, prefs, they reset over three-month LIBOR. So there's no term premium uh, in the U.S. pref market. Uh, And so while the valuations are are far more attractive in European bank A-tier 1, the structure of the the bonds is is far better as well. And so the combination of those two lead us to uh, invest far more in European bank A-tier 1 than U.S. prefs. And lastly, we're seeing ESG factors influence all asset classes across the bond universe. What are the key points to note for the COCOS market and how do you integrate ESG factors when you're investing? So our investment process is is very much looking at the fundamentals, the valuations, the technicals. Uh, Liquidity factors are very important as well. And within that framework, we involve uh, ESG uh, as very much core to the process. Uh, We rely on both external parties and we have a team of five ESG specialists uh, that sit uh, alongside us on, on the investment floor. Uh, and so it's very much a part of the way that we, we think uh, and that we invest. And ESG factors are, are very important. I think the way we think about ESG from our perspective is very much forward-looking. When we, when we analyze the external inputs that we have on, on ESG, they're very much backward-looking. And in particular for banks, 
given what happened in the financial crisis of 2007-2008, governance is obviously an area that they score very badly in. But when we look forward, we see that there have been wholesale changes in how banks are managed and how banks are regulated. So the, the G in the ESG is, uh, is far better on a forward-looking basis than it perhaps been in the past. This is also very much front and center for the regulators as well. And we're seeing elements of uh, the regulators pushing for stress tests from climate change perspective. Uh, and, uh, and so this is something that we think will influence uh, yields and spreads. And so very much is a part of the way we think about how we invest. Mark, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Blue Bay Insights podcast. For more insights, head over to bluebay.com and be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the FCA only and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except pursuant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials the offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay Fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay Fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.